Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Michael Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you'd stand with me and turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Tried to help Brother Hickey out in advance by putting the title on the sign out there. Are you PC enough? So if you drove past the sign, you already know what the title of the message is today. Are you PC enough? Book of Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 5. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It says, at that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice, for these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's army. And here is a call to repentance. I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's army. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? It's a valid question, right? I think what he's telling them there is that this has been a trend. This is what your ancestors did. It's time to break that trend. But I want to put special emphasis today on verse 6 in that passage that says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. God bless you. You may be seated. Hopefully you brought your Bibles today. I have a lot of scripture. Um, if you didn't, you can thank Silas and Sister Hickey for allowing that to all go up on that board behind me. Um, but I have a lot of information to give you. I, I know normally I am short, sweet, and to the point. Um, I'm going to make up for that a little bit. All those short messages that I've preached previously. We're going we're to go a little longer today. Hopefully you just stay with me. I'm going to pound this 16-inch nail into you as much as I possibly can so you get this. For those of you that were here this morning for our adult Sunday school, man, Brother Marty, perfect launching point for this message. It's funny, we were talking in the office before he came up and he said, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you have to follow me. I said, me too. Hopefully you got the right stuff and good, good news, he did. So I, I enjoy confirmation and I've had a lot of it today. Um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, and then as we read, as we continue to read about the Lord not being a God that's wishy-washy. In Hebrews 13 and 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's important to understand that our God doesn't change. Have you noticed that through history, how political correctness seems to change with what is popular at the moment? In a world that believes in being PC or politically correct, that it directly opposes what God is, as we just read in these two scriptures. He doesn't change. He's the same. We're the ones that are going up and down. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and 14, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby 
they lay in wait to deceive. So, the definition of politically correct. I got three of them. There's obviously a lot of them out there, but these are three that I thought were pretty, pretty close. It says, conforming to a belief that language and practices which could offend political sensibilities, as in matters of sex or race, should be eliminated. I like this one. A way that we speak in America so we don't offend whiners. I like that one. Um, what does it mean, actually? Honestly, it appears it depends on what year you're in. So let me give you some examples. Let me give you some harsh examples. Okay? I mean, in, let's look at the, in the 1700s and early 1800s in this country. It was politically correct and acceptable to own slaves, to own other human beings. Politically correct. I think we kind of figured out that that was probably a bad, a bad way to do things. In the 1920s and early 30s, it was politically correct to prohibit alcohol, the area of prohibition, or the era of prohibition. Politically correct. No alcohol. 1933, prohibition was revoked. And it was again okay to partake publicly in alcohol. In the 1990s, homosexuality was still considered sinful and unspeakable act. Fast forward to 2018. If you mention that homosexuality is a sin, you will be labeled many different things by society for not being politically correct. If you don't accept each person for who they are or think they are at that moment, at this point, uh, you can be called prejudiced, racist, small-minded, Nazi, etc. In a world that consistently compromises steadfast biblical beliefs for what is popular at the time, is ultimately the slow demise of a society. So let's look at some of the effects of removing prohibition. Let's look at the effects of legalizing and using more drugs to solve problems. You know, I deal with a lot of uh, business owners, and one of the biggest problems that business owners are having today in hiring people is finding someone who can pass a drug test. Uh, you, you wonder why we have now hiring signs everywhere? Um, because if they bring them in and, and they're required to take a, a drug test, a lot of people cannot pass it, so they don't even apply. Um, that's a major problem. So, let's, let's look at, I mean, you can, you can open your newspaper and find out the effects of, of alcoholism in our society. You can look at the amount that it costs us in healthcare, in rehabilitation, in drunk driving accidents, fatalities in those accidents, the amount of people that are injured by that. Now let's look at something that maybe is a little bit less talked about. So, um, prescription drugs, okay? That's, 
It's an easier way to solve a problem, right? I mean, you've got kids these days that are so stressed by the fact that they have to go to school that they must have medication. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people that could use a little help focusing. There are natural ways to do that. You know, again, as a society, we've, we've dissolved in so many ways, shapes, and forms that we've now decided that the best way to help people through their very daily existence is to prescribe them drugs. So let me, let me share with you one that is very popular called Xanax. Now I want to share with you, <clears throat> Delana and I have a lot of fun with these, um, when they come on as commercials. So I want to list to you the side effects, possible side effects of Xanax on your life. Because you're dealing with this, this issue of you're kind of nervous or you're anxious and that sort of thing. So the side effects. It's going to get a little long, so bear with me. Drowsiness, tiredness, dizziness, sleep problems such as insomnia, memory problems, poor balance or coordination, slurred speech, trouble concentrating, irritability, diarrhea, constipation. Well, one or the other, right? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> Increased sweating, headache, nausea, vomiting, upset stomach, blurred vision, appetite or weight changes, swelling in your hands or feet, muscle weakness, dry mouth, stuffy nose. And then you have to call your doctor if you get these other side effects. Depressed moods, thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself, unusual risk-taking behavior, decreased inhibitions, no fear of danger, confusion, hyperactivity, agitation, hostility, hallucinations, feeling like you might pass out, urinating less than usual or not at all, chest pain, pounding heartbeats or fluttering in your chest, uncontrolled muscle movements, tremors, seizures, convulsions, or jaundice. This is going to fix you. <laughs> Somehow. But as a society, it is very acceptable. Because we have taken the true cure out of society. The one thing that never changes. And we're going to try and fix it with things that we make. You know, Pastor Kylie talked about it a few weeks ago. I got this. We can take care of this. Here's a pill. Political correctness is a quick fix for a major problem. Political correctness is the epitome of the foundation of sand. It is ever-shifting. It is forever unstable. It is consistently eroding. And when the storms of life come, it will fail. On a personal level, I'll tell you, I despise the idea of political correctness. Because I believe we, we have come to the point where we dance around people's feelings so much that we actually have gotten to a point, even as Christians, that we are afraid to share the word of God with people. Because see, what happens is, is that we get to a point where, for fear of, of offending someone, we actually become, that we isolate ourselves. We just hang around with people that we know we won't offend. Because it's safer that way but at least we're politically correct because we know we're not going to offend those people that we're with. 
I'm not saying that we should go out of our way to offend people. I'm not saying that. But what we have to, to do is we have to know that what we know and who we know is more important to them right now for eternity than for being offended for a moment. So, so I, won't, I won't preach something that I haven't experienced. And so I, I will share with you, I had a, uh, a situation many years ago, I taught a Bible study to a, a professor that I was, I was going to, I was taking some classes and, and started a Bible study with a couple of, of guys and one of them was the professor and we got through the, we were going through the Bible study and we got to, uh, got to talk to the, about the uh, section on abominations. You know, we started talking about 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. It says, and this one isn't in there, Sister Hickey, I apologize, but I'll share this with you. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So, this particular gentleman happened to be gay. And he asked me the question about this. He, he said, so, what does this mean? Now, we have to establish, in any Bible study, and if you've been through a Bible study that I've taught, the first thing we, we talk about, Danielle, right, is we have to agree that the Bible is the inspired word of God. There's... There's nothing, it, this, is, this is not my words that I decided that would be popular at that moment. In fact, it's very unpopular right now. So I sat down with this gentleman and I said, listen, I said, we have to, we have to establish this. This is not Mike Kiley's version. I'm not the one that's going to judge you. But the Bible says that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if this is your lifestyle. Not politically correct, I can tell you that. Didn't go real well. But, it's the truth. And the truth is more important than being politically correct. So if we can establish that the word of God and his example is a good, a good guide for us, Let's look at how Jesus handled some of these things. Jesus is the ultimate example of how to share a message that we have with love, but also with authority. Was Jesus always popular? No. In fact, many people despised him for pointing out their faults. You know, it, it kind of, uh, Pastor Cordell spoke about it a couple weeks back, about how they even wanted to, to stone him for pointing out, you know, their hypocrisies. They ultimately crucify him. Why? Because he was bringing light and shedding light on their problems. See, it's kind of funny. When you, when you get into a situation where you bring something to light, two things are going to happen. Two, one of two things is going to happen. Either that person is going to accept that what it is is wrong and make it right, or they're going to run further into the darkness. 
doesn't mean we don't bring the light and don't shine the light. It means we bring it so that they can make a choice. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12 says, And Jesus went in the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Extremely unpopular at this point. He just came in and disrupted their entire fair. Their money is all over the place. Says, and then in the next verse, in verse 14, after he just ticks all these people off, verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I bet you they weren't too upset. The blind, the lame, and they're healed. Even in this passage of scripture, we see how to many people Jesus would be hated and others would be loved. Or others would love him. John 15 and verse 18 says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. If you thought that by following the directions that your life was going to be a whole lot easier, you were wrong. Will it be more beneficial? Yes. Does the long-term result outweigh the temporary inconvenience? Yes. But you're going to be persecuted. If we're just completely open here today, we know that Christianity is not a popular topic for most people. Not in this society. Some of us, myself included, have been in situations where you're kind of like, well, do I say something or do I not? Do I share with this person or don't I? What will they think of me? Will this wreck things for me? Will this wreck a relationship or a friendship? I know it's going to be quiet in here today. I'm okay with that. I know you're thinking. Think about those situations. Think about the fact that, you know what? I don't really care about being politically correct. I'm not going to go out of my way to tick people off. That's not, that's not God's way. That's not going to be my way. But when the situation arises where I have to tell either the truth or try and butter somebody up with some false doctrine, the truth will prevail. John 8.32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is the truth no matter what. I love the facts. I really do. I, I, love, I love getting factual information. You know, right now, and, and I guess this whole thing is just a giant soapbox for me today, so bear with me. One of the, th one of the things that I really have a problem with, with any media, is media slants it to what they want. 
I don't care if it's Fox News, NBC, CNN, I don't, I don't care. Everybody's got an agenda. All I want is the facts. In fact, that's actually the way media used to be, is here's the facts and you decide what you want to do. But let's look at the facts. Let's look at the facts from the true media guide. The one that tells you what's really going on. 2 Peter 3 and 9 talks about how God wants us all to be saved. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some, some understand. Slowness instead of, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we live in a society that says, well, how could God let all these things happen to people? Listen, folks, if you think God is behind this stuff, you've got a real problem. And we can meet afterwards because we're going to need a few hours. Because evil entered this world through the sin of man. And man didn't squash it. And we have not done anything to put it down either. Not enough anyway. And evil is just growing stronger and stronger. And if you have that question, well, why does God allow this? Well, what have you done to change it? Who have you impacted? Who have you shared the word of the Lord with? Whose life have you helped change? So that they're not thinking thoughts of evil, but thinking thoughts of good. Because God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that comes through us. So God wants us all to be saved. That's the truth. God wants us to love everyone, but to hate the sin that has befallen them. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 36 through 41 says, Naked and ye clothed me, I was sick and ye visited me, I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So he tells us how to approach people and say, You know what? Brother Marty touched on it this morning. We don't know where people are in their life. We're not there to judge them. This altar is a place of conviction and repentance, not condemnation. And when we look at people and we say, you know, I don't know where you're at, but I know who's got the answer. And I can bring you the truth. That's what he's talking about. When did, when did we ever see you like that? When you've done it unto the least of these. You've done it unto me. But if you don't, if you don't, this is, this is the other thing I think is kind of weird. I've been to a lot of funerals in my, in my life already, and um, the ones that don't take place here, or also in like belief, I'm amazed. Because I've known a lot of these people, you know, um, 
in some form or fashion, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to judge him, but it amazes me that there is no hell in a lot of these, a lot of these churches. There is no hell. Everybody's going to heaven. Everyone, I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, everybody goes to heaven. I don't know if they all think we're dogs, because evidently all dogs go to heaven, but the fact is, is that the Bible specifically says that there is a hell. And it says in this verse of scripture, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for humans. But the devil has recruited a lot. There's only two choices. You get to determine which one you make. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that they're wrong. Or maybe that they're living a life of sin. It's not a comfortable place to be at. They sure don't want to hear that if they keep sinning, that it will end the way it talks about in the scripture. But it's the truth. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So he's giving you the entire layout of how to succeed. You know, a lot of uh, business owners will put together a business plan. How are they going to succeed? They put it together, they give it to the bank, the bank gives them money. We're talking about life and eternity. The business plan is already laid out. How do you succeed? It's not that tough. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Which business plan do you want to follow? People want to believe that they can live in sin and God has to show them mercy and grace just because what kind of God would send someone to hell? Again, I'm not going to be politically correct. It's not God sending you to hell. It's your choices. You make the choices. Here's the book. It's full of truth. It's full of helps. It's full of aids to get you to the place where you want to be and where God wants you to be. Just like we said before, God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But it's your choice. Have you ever noticed how many people believe in heaven but don't believe in hell? Again, because it's not politically correct. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all your, our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, 
and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Well, God can't send me to hell. God's a God of love. Agreed. God does love you. God would that none would perish. But don't tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Who's he referencing there? The devil. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all things... All these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Even if you're experiencing a temptation that can pull you away from God, he gives you another promise, another truth. No temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful. It's faithful. It's truth. He will not suffer you to be tempted above what ye are able. Truth. But will with that temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Truth. Let me tell you, God's been very tolerant of humanity for a long time. Probably go back to the flood for that one. But there's coming a day when we will stand before him and for many people, it will be a horrible day. This is why we need to make sure that we are PC enough. And I'm talking about preaching Christ. See, when we shine the light of truth on people's lives, again, it, it, it becomes their decision. Jesus didn't say that we are the people that need to change them. We need to share him with them so that he can change them. We need to bring the light to people that are in darkness. That's the truth. We have to be willing to preach the truth, not just in the light, but also in the darkness. Like I said, it's, it's easy to talk to one another here because we all know that we're kind of, you know, we're, we're going down the same path. But what about out there? What about when you leave this place? When you leave your home? Are we PC enough? We shine the light so that they can give it to God and move forward with their life. Again, it's our job to preach Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Pastor Cordell talked about it a couple weeks ago. Who's got the I am? We do. Mark 16 and verse 15. 
This is what he tells us to do. Send to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No, it doesn't. Paul even struggled to speak to some people face to face. See, we're going to have to approach each situation with sensitivity. So in 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul's talking. We just read it. 2 Corinthians, I find this kind of funny. Paul's talking again still to the church of Corinth. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am base among you. Basically, he's not respected. Or doesn't feel like he can be as bold. But being absent and bold toward you. It's kind of like the people that email you, the angry email. Because they can do that or they can leave you a voicemail. But the moment you step in front of them face to face, they just cower. I kind of get that feeling on, on this, like he's got more authority through via the postal service here. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the war- weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have to be sensitive. In each situation. But let me share something with you. It is very important. We live in a society. I, 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 heard, I read something last night just before I was, I was going to bed and um, listened to a, a discussion that was occurring. And there, were, there was a panel of pastors or, or ministers and one of them had talked about um, having a discussion with, uh, about about a certain pastor with a megachurch. And he was talking about uh, the types of churches, you know, that kind of have a watered-down version. It's just, I'll put it the easiest way possible. And I started thinking about that today, and I thought, you know, um, our society believes a lot in participation trophies. Right? I mean, everybody, everybody's a winner. Even if you stink, you get a trophy. Um... And I started thinking about what they were talking about because he said, you know, my concern is that in our, in our churches, we do not know the truth to be able to combat false doctrine or watered-down doctrine. And he started talking about it, and I thought, you know what? It's kind of like a lot of Christians or a lot of people that go to church whether it's via, via your recliner or your computer or you show up occasionally you know, and, and you're not moved or whatever it is. We have a lot of people that believe that they're going to get a participation trophy. Well, I was there. I played in the game. So I should get the reward. I got to tell you, folks, there's not a participation trophy. You don't, get it, you don't get it just by showing up. That's not the way that God works. There's got to be something behind what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're living. It's not just showing up to church once a week, you know, at 1020, saying, oh, I put in my time, I should be good. 
Where's my trophy? Well, it's politically correct. It's not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. This world will tell us time and time again, just keep your mouth shut about God. So, I put together this message, and this morning, I kind of got out of my normal routine, and I found a post. It's a rather lengthy post. And I started reading it. And I still got like an hour and a half to go here, so, um, just kidding. But I started reading this, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I can find some sections to take out. But the more I read this, the more I felt that this is very appropriate for exactly what we're talking about this morning. This gentleman writes, he said, one of the most common complaints I hear from readers is that my writing is too religious. Borrowing a phrase from an email I just read, I am guilty of injecting religion into everything. I need to tone down the religious talk, according to a guy on Twitter. Please cool it with the Jesus stuff, someone else recently told me. I was informed by many people that the piece I wrote last week about fathers was ruined because I brought God into it. Some of the commentators here have given me the moniker Pastor Walsh, because only pastors talk about religion, I guess. I've even noticed, unsurprisingly, that many of the people who lodge these complaints often declare themselves to be Christian. In America today, nobody hates hearing about Christianity more than a Christian. Rather than ignore these criticisms, I thought I might try to explain why I don't plan on toning it down. In fact, I'm headed in the opposite direction. The reason is very simple. I really do believe this stuff. I've often been pretty bad at living and acting according to my belief. I am no expert when it comes to following the teachings and making all the sacrifices a Christian is called to make. But no matter my personal weakness, which are many and daunting, I still believe it all. When scriptures say we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but the powers of darkness, I believe it. When it says that the devil is prowling the world like a lion seeking someone to devour, I believe it too. And when Revelation tells us about the war between Michael and the angels of God against Satan and his minions, I believe exactly what it says. I have sometimes wished that I didn't believe any of it. I've even had terrible times in my life when I've tried not to believe it, but I still do. I believe it for the simple fact that it is truth. No matter how I happen to feel about the truth, it just is. That's all. We are in a spiritual battle. No topic really matters apart from the deeper spiritual truth. The political arguments are only significant to the extent that they are manifestations of the underlying spiritual war. Every meaningful debate reflects in some way the eternal battle between good and evil. To ignore the eternal and focus entirely on the temporal seems not only dishonest, but also dull and boring. We are in the midst of a war between the powers of heaven and the armies of hell. And these people want to just talk about politics. That's like if aliens invaded Earth on the same day that a new Star Wars was released, but nobody paid any attention to the aliens because they were more interested in watching the movie. As far as bringing God into everything, it's not up to me to do so. I cannot bring 
God in or take him out. He is already everything except sin. And in those dark, wicked crevices of existence where he is not present, someone else is there. We cannot go anywhere. We cannot retreat to any corner. We cannot debate any topic that is truly ours. Nothing exists just on the temporal plane. As C.S. Lewis put it, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. So one way or another, whatever we do, whatever issue we discuss, whatever arguments we have, we are aligning ourselves either with him or him. That seems a relevant fact and should probably be mentioned as often as possible. There's an entire mountain beneath the surface of this island. Without the mountain, it would be just a bit of sand floating in the ocean, easily swept away and forgotten. That's how an atheist seems, sees human existence. As Christians, we know better. The problem is that many Christians try to stake out a similar position, but that position isn't actually available to us. They want to admit that all the spiritual stuff is true, but then relegate it to the background. They want to say they believe in God, but there's no reason for God to come up. They want to acknowledge the eternal with this dismissive wave and then get back to the business of ignoring it. As I said at the beginning, I understand this inclination. I have felt the inclination. It can be scary to think about these things, especially if we are living deep in sin. Indeed, even the virtuous cannot help but tremble in fear when they contemplate themselves standing before the heavenly throne. But the fact remains as massively important fact is the fact upon which every other fact is built. It is the fact that every fact leads back to. It is the tree that holds every branch. There's a whole side to existence, a more real, a more solid side that we cannot see. Though the beings on that side can see us. They not only see us, but act upon us. They attack us or help us or hurt us or heal us. Every moment of every day, there are legions of demons and legions of angels fighting over you. Personally, you are in the middle of a great battlefield. How many of you have ever been in that battlefield before? Every day. You are the prize the two sides are fighting over. Indeed, you are the battlefield in a certain sense. They are waging this war inside your soul. And when you die, which could literally be any moment, and will certainly, in the grand scheme, be soon, you will either join the angels in heaven or be consumed by the demons and darkness of eternal oblivion. We must believe this if we are Christian, and if we believe it, how could it not dominate our thoughts and our conversations? But yes, we can tone down the Jesus stuff, if we want. And if we keep trying to tone him down in our lives, there may come a time when we really succeed. We may enter a place where Jesus is silent forever and nobody speaks his name. We will have finally gotten what we wanted. And I think now that it's too late, we realize that we do not want it anymore. So please don't ask me why I write about God. Ask me why I ever write about anything else. There's a lot of debating going on in our society. But one truth remains. Jesus Christ 
came to this earth and provided a way for us to be saved. He gave us the blueprint. He spoke it through Peter on the day of Pentecost. When they said, men and brethren, what, was, what must we do to be saved? Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't end there. Because he also said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Many of you have heard this saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. I want to remind you today that I've read the back of the book. And the people that follow what Peter said in Acts, we win. But if we're silent about what God has given us, we have a bigger problem. Doesn't matter if you believe it's politically correct, I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to preach the truth because I want people to go to heaven and not to hell. And the truth is the truth, whether you want to believe it or not. Because really it doesn't matter. If what you have to say contradicts this, you're wrong. Because this is the truth. And it gives us the blueprint by which we can achieve what God has given so much for us to have an opportunity to achieve. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Matthew chapter 22. I'll end with this passage of scripture. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again in parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant or those remaining took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then, then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto them, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And then in verse 15 it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, in his talk, wasn't politically correct. But he was preaching truth. You have been called to preach Christ.
People will try to silence you, but the truth shall, shall set you and them free. And that's what this is about. An opportunity to be free. You have an opportunity today to come to an altar. Whether that's an altar of repentance, rededication, recommitment, that's up to you. But the truth isn't going to change. Neither is his call on your life. If you're here today, there's a reason. God has called you for a reason. Now it's up to you. What will you do with the truth? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to touch each and every person that's in this place today. Lord, that there would be a spirit of conviction on all of our lives to preach your word, to preach your truth, and to be an example of your love and also your power. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.